Industry Pods and Evergreen Podcast Network are pleased to present the following podcast. Hello, all. Welcome to the latest panel at LA Blockchain Summit, Why Bitcoin Makes a Good Inflation Hedge. My name is Charles Bovaird, and I am Vice President of Content for financial services firm Quantum Economics and a Forbes Senior Contributor. Joining us for the panel today, we have Matthew Graham, CEO of Sino Capital, Jake Ryan, founder and CIO of Tradecraft Capital, William Herman, founder and managing partner of Wilshire Phoenix, and Octavio Costa, partner and portfolio manager at Crestcat Capital. Now, to get some thoughts from our panelists, we would like to ask a few questions. All right, so first of all, the world's central banks have printed trillions of dollars worth of currency this year. The Federal Reserve, for example, had printed roughly $3 trillion in new currency this year, the last time I checked. It is certainly worth emphasizing at this point that Bitcoin's total supply is capped at approximately 21 million units. If central, if central banks continue to print money, how do you expect this to impact inflation? Would anybody like to jump right, in So I, I would answer thusly. I, I tend to uh, approach things a little differently from many in the Bitcoin space because I, I'm really more of a Keynesian uh, than an Austrian economist in, in terms of uh, economic school philosophy. But uh, I would be greatly concerned, not so much about the short run because uh, of the exceptional situation, but the fact that uh, we now have a five-year span where M2 growth has exceeded uh, GDP uh, for the first time since the 70s and before that, the 40s. And then you couple that with the fact that for decades now, we've had disinflationary pressures from globalization. And there's a, a very strong chance that uh, much of that is going to be unwound. So I, I think it, it's not so much about 2020. It's about the longer timeframes and the potential, uh, the potential globalization fallout. That's how I would take a look at it. All right, I'll, I'll do my take then. Um, I, I think there has been a lot of deflationary forces and the technological advancements we've said we've had so far um, that had an impact on that. I think that the money velocity has been a major reason why we haven't seen uh, inflation as well. But in my view, aside from asset prices that have been rising significantly all over the world, um, what we have, in my view, is, is, is that commodities really haven't moved. Um, we've had a, a decade in which almost any commodity you look at, from oil to nat natural gas to iron ore and copper, uh, even silver, uh, went down significantly for the last 10 years. Um, just recently, some of those started to move up. I think that, that certainly had an impact on, on consumer prices in general and allowed the Federal Reserve to uh, continue to, uh, to, to, to to keep, keep cheap money in general. Um, I, I think cheap money has also, uh, in a way, uh, allowed companies to survive in an environment they wouldn't even probably survive in, in the 70s or 60s during uh, much, much higher cost of capital. Um, so I think in the following years, um, I, I believe strongly that the, the amount of leverage we have in the global economic system uh, most likely would lead to some sort of geopolitical issues in which could cause um, supply disruptions and commodity prices in general. I think uh, at, at some point investors will start putting money into hard assets 
And when we see commodity prices rising significantly from cyclical to defensive commodities, you name it, I think that's when inflation uh, will, will begin to pick up overall. Um, so far, I think that that has been the major reason why we haven't seen inflation is commodity prices, in my view. Uh, not to mention that the basement of currencies is another issue, uh, but I think it's separate from, from the actual uh, uh, consumer price inflation that you're referring to, I think, in your question. My yeah, take I mean, would be a little bit different. Um, I think the data supports that monetary easing is, is deflationary. And as we print more money and have uh, lower and lower interest rates, uh, we're seeing that that really affects the economy in an adverse way by stunting growth. So I, I don't think the impact of just the Fed itself is inflationary. Uh, what, what creates the inflation is, is in addition to mo you know, easing monetary policy, is we're now getting fiscal policy. We're starting to get more and more spending around the globe. The treasury you know, is, uh, is getting uh, more and more in debt and we're going out, we're gonna be spending. Uh, we have a stimulus bill that's already passed here in the US through Congress and they're looking at a second. And I think it's the combination of monetary and fiscal policy together the, that could cause inflation in the future. Uh, but we've, we've spent more than a decade with, with just the Fed's printing money and monetary, monetary policy. And, uh, and that has not produced in, inflation. So I would suspect, and we've, we've seen that for probably three decades in Japan. So it's not, it's not just the printing of money, it's the fiscal side as well that really is gonna create the inflation of the future. Okay, so if I may clarify, when you said, you basically said that we had a decade where it was all the central banks that were stimulating the economy, right? Well, the, the Fed through monetary policy and right. monetary easing yeah, right. was, was really okay. great inflation. Okay, great, right, yeah, so- I, uh, can, I just jump, can I just jump in? The, um, I mean, I think we all know that the Fed has been basically controlling, uh, you know, not only interest rates, but therefore risk, you know, risk assets generally uh, for the last, you know, what, 12 years. So I think when people say, you know, this time is different and, you know, and, and what have you, I think that's usually the wrong thing, uh, or typically the wrong thing to say, but I think truly this time um, is different. Um, we're in truly unprecedented land. Now, I don't know if this, uh, you know, if this is the next uh, crisis happens uh, in six months, a year, five years, 10 years, but um, yeah, I think this next one will be the big one. And uh you know, I think it'll, you know, probably lead to, um, or to begin with kind of losing faith in, uh, um, or maybe the U.S. asset, U.S. dollar kind of losing its reserve status. I think that, you know, could probably start it. And, you know, I get, I think, I guess it's something that, you know, wouldn't be, um, I look at short term or, you know, define intermediate term, but I don't think it's, uh, you know, something that I'm looking at in the next, uh, you know, two years or so, two to five years, maybe longer. Okay, so does anybody have any final thoughts on that question? Uh, I think the fiscal stimulus point is a valid point. I think, you know, back in, uh, after the World War II, certainly that was a huge impact on inflationary forces and perhaps why uh, it's certainly more direct way of, of inter intervening in the economy overall. Uh, what we've seen so far is literally helicopter money um, it's money coming into, you know, and, and for everyone's uh, pockets and, and, and you use that to spend money. So aggregate demand, 
uh, has not been, uh, uh, hasn't increased yet. So the fiscal stimulus so far uh, have, have, hasn't really had an impact on, on aggregate demand. Uh, and if, if that does, I think that that would certainly create inflationary forces. Again, um, there's two ways to do that. One of them is going to be through demand and the other one's going to be through supply. And supply is, is in my view, through commodities. And, and you know, in the 70s, it didn't really matter what was happening in the fiscal or the, or the monetary side of things. Uh, we've had a, a, a oil shock and, and that caused the whole inflationary forces to, to move higher globally. Um, so uh, we haven't had a shock like that in a real long time. And I think if we do, um, as we've seen in history, amount of leveraging the system tends to cause either war or geopolitical issues. I think there's a pretty high probability that could happen in the next few years. The amount okay. of leverage in the system too means that if you raise interest rates, that that's gonna have a, a much more difficult time tempering inflation. There are a lot of things that quickly add up and, and create a, uh, a riskier long-term situation. And again, and apart from that too, is the Fed's, you know, sort of own debt service payments on its own interests when they're raising, you know, it's in potentially a rising rate environment could cause. They're never going to raise rates and the right, naturally, even the natural progression of raising rates have been going up you know, naturally over the last several weeks. So, um, you know, you know, they can control what they can control, but, um, at the end of the day, it's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a market and, um, you know, I'm not sure how much longer, you know, like I said, I don't, I don't have a crystal ball, but, uh, you know, you're holding out on us here. Ah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I do. Yeah. I am. I'm just holding out. <laughs> no longer a market. That, I mean, well, I think the most interesting thing actually money. that you said was about, uh, was bringing up the potential implications of USD losing its reserve currency, but you didn't, you, you, you mentioned that that could be one scenario on the horizon. I'd, I'd love to know more about what you think that might look like. I don't know if we have time or not though. Yeah, I mean, uh, let me, actually I do have my, my crystal ball just came out. So uh, it does not look good, okay. um, you know, it's a, uh, but um, you know, I think there's a, uh, you know, America as a, um, you know, sort of the, um, the world uh, superpower or what have you, I think uh, um, with other, uh, countries sort of, um, I don't think anybody's exceeded us, but I don't think it's the end of the world. Um, if, uh, you know, the U S dollar uses the reserve status, but, um, it's going to be a really big deal, um, for financial markets and global markets around the world. And it would probably cause a, you know, a, um, a lot of disruption to the, to the system. I have issues with that view. So, so who would it lose it to? Uh, I mean, does it really matter? Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, I just, I mean it doesn't matter, but I mean, yeah. I mean, I mean look, the, the, I mean, the natural, I mean, the first yeah, thing. I mean, who would you give it to? Right? Sorry. You know, <laughs> I, I guess the, it's the, you know, the cleanest dirty, you know, uh, dirty shirt, right? So, you know, you look at, could be the Euro, um, maybe the Swiss franc. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't, scenarios, right? Um, I think my, you know, maybe my crystal ball was wrong there, but no, I mean, it's, it's something that certainly you can't take it off the, off the table, Tommy. I mean, you just, you just can't, I mean, what can I not take off the table? Other, you know, you, oh, I'm not, I'm just asking, the, I, I, who do you, I, who do you think is a good candidate? I, I don't believe that, that, that's, uh, 
Um, that's the, the my base case scenario. I mean, some people argue that would be China. I would strongly argue that that's um, that's probably not, not going to be the case. Um, I think that's highly unlikely to be China, but yeah. You, uh, you think it's it's China? Highly unlikely. I would be highly unli unlikely. 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 Yeah. So, so who would you think that would would? Uh, I think it's a valid. I, by no means. No, I, it's, I'm just no, it's great. It's a really it's a, good view. It's a fantastic question. question. I. Um, that's why I was at. You know, kind of asking if kind of back at you. I. So you know, what do you guys think would be? Uh, I personally think the dollar is fundamentally stronger than any other fiat currency in the world today. I, I can't think of any other currency mm -hmm. that would be better than the dollar. I'm not saying that that's uh, that doesn't create a, an environment where. Uh, monetary stimulus begin to just uh, be used to fund fiscal stimulus and and the two mandates that central banks now have is to keep equity markets uh, high valuations afloat at the same time as suppress interest rates and somebody else made a point about uh, they can't raise rates right now they can't you're right and they have to continue to purchase treasuries and uh, to uh, suppress rates going forward um, i uh, it's a good question um, about you know who possibly could take over the dollar, but I I just can't I can't think of of uh, of one reasonably. Here here's my suggestion. My suggestion is that it's a scenario that can't be ruled out, but if you start to talk about what would a world look like that did not have USD as a reserve currency, my suggestion is the most likely scenario. If we take that as a premise, is that it would be a multi uh, polar world. I, I don't think we, we it would be euro comes in and that's the reserve currency renminbi. I, 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 that, that seems to me much less likely than multipolar. Renminbi, of course, is an extremely complicated situation uh, because it's not a free-flowing uh, free-floating currency, first and foremost. But I, I do think that in neighboring countries, especially with the promulgation of BCEP, that we could start to see more and more uh, contracts denominated in renminbi, international contracts between major entities, we could see more and more renminbi on the balance sheet in neighboring countries, countries that are uh, geopolitically, economically very much intertwined, if not dependent on the People's Republic of China. That's kind of my, my sentiment. Yeah. Look, it's possible, you know, there's $50 trillion of, uh, of, of, of assets in the banking system in China. It's a highly levered economy. I'm not yeah. saying other economies aren't, um, but usually throughout history, yeah. what we see is the monetary debasement of those places uh, going forward as a, as a consequence of the, this debt buildup. Mm. Um, but, you know, I think we're in the race to the bottom <laughs> for all of the occurrences, personally. Um, I, mm. you know, hard well, okay. really interesting. Okay, um, gentlemen, I'd like to I'd like to move on to the next question. Uh, thank you for all the input on the, this uh, particular inquiry. Uh, so we meant uh, various factors were brought up that could potentially push prices higher in the future. Uh, so what I'm wondering is that if, for example, you mentioned helicopter money, but you said that it hasn't boosted aggregate demand yet. No, so for example, if helicopter money boosts aggregate demand and pushes it to the right, and if you take these other factors and they combine to push prices higher, I mean, that could show up in both traditional inflation measures, you know, for example, con the consumer price index, but also the price of assets. So if, guess what I'm saying is that if 
if the price if prices get pushed higher do you think that it will show up equally between the cpi and asset prices is that a question I, to me or sorry i think there's a, a couple of ways that could happen um one if you think about everybody you know we have consumption and production and if everybody's at home getting stimulus checks continuing their consumption and keeping that as, as a status quo but less and less people are going to work and producing then we're going to have a lot less stuff and we're going to be competing on that and the only way that's going to resolve is higher prices so there's a lot of ways that we can get uh or inflation or cpi inflation it may not just be an increase in aggregate demand there may be changes in uh in production just because of the pandemic um, and then I think really if it's just asset price inflation or if it's really Main Street uh, core inflation will largely be determined by uh, how much is this coming from the Treasury and fiscal policy versus how much is coming from uh, the Fed, uh, Treasury and the fiscal policy with Fed and monetary policy. If they're both working in concert, if the Fed becomes less and less independent, more and more meshed with the Treasury, then I think you're going to see, you know, more rules get redefined, uh, more ideas of uh, buying, you know, corporate bonds, buying equities, buying other assets, getting more exotic in our monetary easing policy. And as the Fed and the Treasury become more and more one entity, you're, you're really talking about money printing that that, you know, uh, banana republics and many, many other countries that really have seen high inflation, uh, we'll start to see that. So again, it will be, what is the mix of monetary and fiscal policy that will really change that, in my opinion? Okay. Uh, would anybody else like to weigh in? For me, I, I think the probability of asset bubbles is uh, considerably larger than the probability of, uh, of CPI inflation in the short and medium term. Okay. Uh, I'm much more concerned about the, uh, the possibility of S&P 500, for example, decoupling from intrinsic value. I think that's, that's a, uh, something that is much more front and center, short and medium term. You don't think it so mm -hmm. S&P decoupling from What's that? the S&P decoupling from intrinsic value what do you sort intrinsic of, value sure no no so, I, I understand what value, I understand what intrinsic oh, value sorry <laughs> yeah 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 I'm just uh -huh. never really heard that so what do you I mean that I think are you talking about higher multiples uh earnings multiples or what are you yes okay yeah, yeah I mean how much higher mm -hmm. can really yeah equity bubble, already, yeah. already unprecedented you know um Sure. So I, I would, I, I think that's a good point. I would concur that it's a current concern rather than a theoretical concern. I, I would agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. If we have unlimited money chasing limited stuff, then that limited stuff is going to get more and more expensive. So stocks, gold, bring it back, back, back to Bitcoin. Uh, anything that is going to be mm -hmm. more scarce is going to get more expensive as we get more and more, you know, more and more, the denominator of that becomes higher and higher and we print more and more money. So yeah, I definitely think we'll see uh, asset price inflation to continue. 
And I think those more rare, more scarce, more provably scarce assets are going to do much better in an environment like that. Probably in a little bit. Um, but well, I do think that that's, that would show up on, on the CPI, uh, even though um, you know it is largely manipulated index, but it, it would probably um, show up in a, in a significant way, uh, perhaps very understated. Um, there is a, an issue we've seen so far in one part of the market of car prices. You know, uh, we've had, a, it's not, uh, it hasn't been driven by demand. It's not like people are <laughs> buying cars left and right. The, the issue with car prices that are all time highs, it looks like the NASDAQ index, if you look at car pri used car prices today, it, it's mm -hmm. mostly due to a lack of production. There, you know, a lot of companies due to the pandemic uh, have not produced cars as much. So if you're shopping for a car, Right now, you might have to pay 10 grand more than you used to pay on a car. And that's, uh, that's just due to a lack of supply and disruption there. Um, so that's, uh, that's one thing. I think the, the question about inflation, um, which is uh, perhaps a little bit related, but different than the basement, um, is, is a very big deal for, for especially the equity market. Um, at multiples that, that we are today, uh, pretty much at all-time highs in, in, in any fundamental metric you look at, I think it's going to be very difficult to justify those valuations if we have inflation uh, in the horizon. So I think that that could certainly change the picture for inflation. Um, as a money manager, I think it's important to search for assets that are uh, uh, cheap relative to the money supply uh, index, for instance, uh, you can find, you know, commodities are a very great example of that. If you look at equity prices today relative to money supply, basically there are all time highs. They're retesting levels of the tech bubble today. Um, so it's very difficult, but uh, I think that inflation is, is a very important question for any equity investor today. And it will probably mean lower growth if we do have uh, that happening going forward. Okay, so you, you mentioned that it's important to seek out assets that are provably scarce. So what I'd like to get into is if, if you know, prices continue, if prices push higher, whether it's for the consumer price index and or the price of assets, uh, what do you think that sort of thing, what impact would that have on Bitcoin? Well, I, I think it's going to do uh, particularly well in that environment uh, when we have, let, let's talk about gold and Bitcoin for a little bit. I mean, gold, we have to assay, we have to insure, we have to store. Um, how, we've seen the, the greatest scam, I think, uh, in gold, what, a couple billion dollars worth in China of it, of it being tungsten and not real gold. Uh, so the idea of provable scarcity is, is one that is becoming more and more interesting to more and more investors. Uh, Bitcoin implementing the, the first idea of triple entry accounting, the idea of, of being able to know exactly and prove exactly who owns every, every piece of uh, partial and Bitcoin, that the whole idea of triple entry accounting and being able to have uh, uh, a cross boundary uh, system that allows you to uh, uh, look for and, and ensure uh, uh, ownership is, is going to be more and more interesting. So I think that, uh, coupled with its scarcity and its increasing acceptability in the financial markets and other markets, are just going to do very well for Bitcoin uh, medium term and long term. 
Um, I'll, I'll leave you in that. Um, well, I think I think that uh, uh, the monetary stimulus and extremes that we've seen so far will will, will probably uh, make investors search for alternatives of the monetary system. Bitcoin certainly fits that category along with gold and silver um, and some others that have fit in the past, copper, for instance, but have a much more cyclical aspect to it. Bitcoin does have too, and certainly a technological advancement aspect to it as well. Um, and perhaps why it moves sometimes very closely with the S&P 500 at some periods of times in terms of correlations, daily, weekly, or monthly. Not all the time. Um, so I think um, I think it certainly could benefit from this environment. It's it's what I call the supercharged environment in which central banks have been um, expanding their monetary base to suppress interest rates. That is a, a perfect mix for any any asset that serves as a, uh, an alternative for the monetary system. Gold would be uh, it, it's 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 a bigger market. It's uh, it's not going to move as as much as other, other um, assets that perhaps are more asymmetric. Bitcoin, silver uh, are very similar in that way. Uh, they have much more room for growth. But uh, I think, uh, you know, gold will probably lead the way, not in terms of appreciation of price, uh, just, uh, the, you know, just given the credibility and, and, and the likelihood of, of larger pension funds and, and larger investors to, to come across the thesis of gold in general versus other assets. Uh, but that will certainly benefit Bitcoin and, and, and silver uh, and miners uh, and other, other related uh, assets that are linked to the monetary system. Yeah, and I think it's, uh, to all your guys' points, I think it's just sort of, um, you know, sort of alternative assets uh, generally. Um, you know, call it hard assets, right? And that, you know, sort of include Bitcoin um, in that bucket, even though it's not something you can hold or touch but um i think it's sort of the um it, it fits right in that bucket and uh it's going to be interesting to see how it does appear uh or does uh perform in an inflationary environment because obviously bitcoin has never existed in an inflationary environment and uh you know we can sort of go back and see how gold has performed over time in inflationary periods and silver and different hard assets so it'll be it'll certainly be interesting to see um what actually does happen when it occurs Sure. Yeah, I, I would phrase it like this. So since its genesis, Bitcoin has mostly been correlated to crypto-related things. But as it continues to mature as an asset class, these discussions about correlation, the S&P 500, things like that, they become uh, much more serious, much more realistic. If you subscribe to Paul Tudor Jones's Great Monetary Inflation Theory, and, and I would encourage you to read his uh, investor letter, from earlier this year. He has a fantastic analysis of Bitcoin relative to other potential ways to, to play the GMI. And so he talks about how you have different horses and you wanna choose the fastest horse. And uh, so some horses might be going long the NASDAQ 100, going long gold, going long Bitcoin, playing treasuries, long the two, short the 30. And so the, the interesting thing is that Bitcoin, you could make a strong case that it's now one of the fastest horses. And certainly it's one of the horses that you would want in your stable. And that's something that's very new and very important for people that work in the blockchain sector. Yeah, I would add on that too. We started with the idea of provable scarcity in this topic. And I think if yeah. we look at collectibles like rare cars, rare wine, 
and how those have done uh, over the last 10 years, you've seen a great outperformance uh, uh, compared to S&P 500. So really collectible art, really collectible wine and cars, mm. because of their provable scarcity, are really doing outperforming the markets. And I think that we can take that uh, into our uh, crypto thesis and really add why Bitcoin and its provable scarcity will do well in the coming uh, environment. Good point. I, I, would, I would caveat that though. I would say in the scenario where income inequality, wealth inequality uh, continues to increase or at least doesn't decrease, which, which I'm, I'm, I'm not totally convinced we haven't reached a tipping point in that regard. Yeah, that, yeah great point. And also the, um, with fine wines, collectibles and um, art, it, I think it's all, it's about access to, and I think that kind of goes into the, um, you know, to your point, Matthew, about the sort of inequality uh, type thing uh, and so on. Uh, okay, so uh, I'd like to thank every single last one of you for making some excellent points. Uh, it's time to wrap this up, and I'd like to thank everybody for joining us. Thanks so much. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Thank you. This has been a production of Industry Pods in association with Evergreen Podcasts Network. Hear this and other industry pods at evergreenpodcasts.com, your favorite podcast app, or listen at industrypods.com for your number one virtual conference podcast experience.